Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All Do right. it, Seth. Okay. Three, two, one. You're listening to the Face Bay Network. Hey, hey. We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories, Bye. their nuanced conversations, and forward thinking, and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing, but not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Yes, yes. Welcome, welcome. Here we are once again, Fede Gray Podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest today. I am mm-hmm. so excited to be introducing this guy. About a decade ago is when I first stumbled across some of his videos. Um, I was At that point, I was very interested, still am, in the occult and Freemasonry and stuff like that. And, and I, I forget which video I clicked on first, but it was like, the truth behind Freemasonry, but then he gets a lot into Mormonisms, and then I heard the guy's story, and I'm like, there's no way. It's like, this is, like, the different stuff that happened in his life, I'm like, there's no way, but he has pictures and, like, evidence to prove it. There's no reason for me to doubt you, other than it's such an incredible, fantastical story. And for Faye de Grey, bring a place for people to tell their story. I'm so excited. Um for you to be able to tell yours, Dr. Sneblin, um, Dr. William Sneblin with, uh, with One Accord Ministries, uh, uh, still doing his thing, I think, for about three or four decades now. Just um, actually tell us more about who you are, what you're doing currently, and the, let's get right into your story. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. I'm, uh, you know, I've been involved in this ministry since 1992. And before that, I was working with uh, Ed Decker. So I've basically been in the ministry since 1986. And before that, I had a wide and varied spiritual journey, shall we say, which we can get into in a minute. But right, you know, we, I and my wife, Mary, we are basically uh, with One Accord Ministries. We have a, a website and a YouTube channel. We have some of my videos. We're trying to get more and more of my videos on, on Vimeo as well. Uh, and we're just trying to get the word out about number one, uh, Yahushua, Jesus, uh, and his message, and also, you know, warning about things like the occult, 
uh, and um, you know things like you mentioned Freemasonry, Mormonism, things of that nature that are you know with all Harry, with all Harry due respect, Potter too. I heard. You know, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen yeah, some weird videos got a lot on of that. People, a lot of people upset with us about Harry Potter and you know whatever. <laughs> you know, you know we're going to need you is, to go through some special prayer because my wife is just now on her fourth book, and so she was uh, a good Christian girl for most of her life, and until some, this somewhere summer. the the demons got into her, and now she's reading <laughs> Harry Potter. So. Well, you know, it, it, you can laugh at it, but there's, you know, like they say, the the, the there's, a, there's an old proverb that says, you know, the boys throw stones at the frogs in sport, but the frogs die in earnest. And even though a lot of these things, people think they're fun, people think, and I, I mean, I'll tell you, I partly got into the occult because you see, when I was a young person in my twenty, in my right, teens, let, let's do this. Let's yeah. do this. Let's start with your story now, like, and then, yeah, like, okay, and then, fine. and then get to that. So, yeah. like, you grew up in. Uh, I was I was raised Catholic. Okay. And uh, very devout, and I wanted to be a priest, and um, just uh, I mean, I'm going to try and give you the short version, but I had an encounter on Halloween night when I was about ten or eleven years old, and basically. I was out trick-or-treating, wearing a relatively benign costume. I and mean, this is, again, this is like 1960. So it was like Leave it to Beaver era. You know, everything was real nice and all clean. So no razor blades and the candy no, corn apple? No, no, nothing like that. And no, no Freddy Krueger costumes or, you know, <laughs> vampires or things like that. And anyway, and I, all of a sudden, I looked up. It was a clear October night, and the sky was just full of some dark leathery thing. And mind you, I had never seen a scary movie. I had not been exposed to anything like that. I mean, and as you can probably imagine, back then, even the scariest movie was very mild, you know, by comparison. You know, it's not like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. You know? Right. So, anyway, it was like, you know, I just was frozen in place, staring up at this thing. And all of a sudden, these eyes started to open, these ruby eyes. Hundreds of them up there. It was just like looking. I imagine it would be like being in a huge cave full of bats. And all of a sudden, the bats start to wake up. And that was the only, you know, correlative I had in my head. And uh, I just was frozen in place. And I felt this thrill go through me. And at that moment, my friend, who had kept walking, he stopped. And he turned, hey, Bill, you know, whatever. And I just snapped out of it. I looked back up at the sky. There was nothing there but stars. So, you know, I went on my way and um, I started finding, even though I, like I was an altar boy, I wanted to be a priest, all of this stuff, you know, I started. Did you tell anybody about that experience you had, Bill, I told when you were him. a child? Yeah, I told him, but I didn't tell my parents because I just figured they just freak out and never let me go trick or treating again. So, you know, but that's a good question. No, I really didn't. I told my buddy. Uh, but I didn't tell, and he just thought it was bizarre, as you can imagine, you know. And uh, or maybe he thought you were trying to scare him on Halloween or something. Yeah, you never know. Anyhow, so I started getting involved in like studying parapsychology, UFOs, a lot of outre things, you know, especially back then. I mean, because you know there were no X Files or anything back then, and I was I was looking at. There was a book called Odd Enough the Nun at the school I was at. I was in eighth grade by now. She gave me a book that was called Stranger Than Science by Frank Edwards. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him. But he wrote a whole series of books that were kind of the, the, the genre would be called Fortean. Like Charles Fort, 
he was the original guy that wrote books about weird, unexplained things, kind of like uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, but in print. And this was full of things like haunted houses and graveyards where gravestones moved around and explained it all. And I was fascinated with this. And I kept getting more and more into it. And um, then when I finally went to college, skipping through a lot of it, I, um, I, I wanted to be a priest. And I was in theology class. And I had a priest slash professor guy that had a doctorate in theology. And he told me that, quote, unquote, Jesus had been a magician. That if I wanted to be a good Christian, a good priest, I needed to study the occult. Now, this was just, I wasn't even entirely sure what the occult was, except for maybe watching Bewitched on TV. But he was telling me this, you know, and back in those days, if a priest said something, you know, it was like, you know, from God. See, and liberal indoctrination in colleges didn't just start recently. This is back in the 60s, right? Yeah, this would have been in 1968 or so. Gotcha. And, and you know, I didn't realize at the time, but he was quoting from a book um, by a Russian mystic and uh, claiming that, you know, Jesus had gone to the Far East and he'd studied with the gurus in India and with the Tibetan line. He was telling me this stuff like it was gospel truth. And so I figured, well, okay, I better go do this if I want to be, because he said the way you, you know, because in El Cath, I don't know if any of you are Catholics or former Catholics, but, you know, they, they have this theological idea of the transubstantiation. that The priest can stand there and speak these certain words over this bread and poof, it turns into Jesus. And he said that to get that power, you have to study the occult. And at that time, I thought, well, you know, again, I'd seen, you know, Samantha on Bewitched, and I was thinking, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. So I started studying the occult. And if you look at my resume or my CV, whatever you want to call it, you can tell I'm kind of an overachiever. And back then, there wasn't a lot out there, but I got every book I could find because, of course, there was no Internet back then. And But I, I read a lot of books, and by, eventually, by the time – I think I was like about 19 or so. I, I got hold of a witch group. The guy was the king of the witches, at least that's what he called himself in England. And they Is got that Crowley. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, no. He was long dead. I'm not that okay. old. He, <laughs> Crowley died three years, two years before I was born. Oh, okay. Just so, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, no, this guy was named Alex Sanders. He's long gone, too. But uh, And anyway, I, they gave me, got me to a coven, and I became a witch because I had read enough to, to have this idea in my head that, okay, just like, you know, a witch coven has 12 members, and that makes 13. So in the same way, you know, Yahushua, Jesus has... 12 disciples and that makes a coven and you know some of the books i was reading said he had this grand coven of 12 guys and their 12 wives you know and then of course he was married to mary Magdalene, and together they made this this grand coven and it was all so jesus cult. was a witch no nah, well <laughs> no i so, would not say that but then, so then, who this was this man this so i want who had it how did you man? get there Oh, well, the man, the witch, the, the okay. witch, because I'm well, okay. so curious of the connection with Christianity and kind of. Okay, like, well, I, okay, my, I got, happened? I wrote him because they get, and there was an auto, a biography, excuse me, written by, about him called King of the Witches by June Johns. And I wrote the guy in the back of the book, the address, which was in London, Clanner Cared Gardens in London, England, I can still remember the address. 
And his wife wrote back at that time, they divorced later, but her name was Maxine. And she wrote back and said, okay, there's a coven here and a coven there and a coven there in America, you know, that are affiliated with us. Because back then there weren't very many witches. And so that's certainly not public. No. And that's how I made the connection. And um, then later on, uh, I went to Boston and was initiated uh, as a high priest in that because in witchcraft, there's different, you know, sects, just like in Protestantism, there's different, you know, kinds of denominations. It's sort of a similar thing. They're called traditions. So I was made a witch. Uh, high priest uh, started doing, um, so to speak, witchy evangelism in Milwaukee, moved there. I had, by the time I was done. I think I did some little, of that with my, as uh, was the God Churches. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, anyway. uh, which, uh, which the evangelism is kind of like the like the we call it like treasure hunts. Basically, we'd have like uh, these prophetic words for people, and we go out there and try to like. Oh, you, you, it, felt, it felt like you're being a witch, kind of in a way. You know, like I got this power. Well, that's listen, the trouble. In some it. in some of these churches, there's kind of a gray area between things that are kind of vaguely occult and things that are genuinely scriptural, but that would probably be a different show. It, it would be, <laughs> but there's a tie-in that's very re- relevant because I just read today that Bethel Church um, apparently was casting out the spirit of racism with some sort of like cane like, stick. It was like stick. a Gandalf. Yeah, it looked like a Gandalf like stick. A t- <laughs> and yeah, and they were doing like incantations and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this is new Christianity for me, but whatever. Yeah, that I disavow that. I don't think that's anything I'd want to get involved in. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, in, in some of the high churches, you know, I don't even know what I mean by that. Not churches that smoke pot. But, I, I, I want to um, open one of those. No, like, you know, like the Episcopalians and so Lutherans. on. They, they, they have bishops that carry a crozier, you know, a staff kind of thing. So that that's one thing. But no, Gandalf, no. So anyway, anyway I forgot w- where I was w- going. Witchy evangelism. Well, you were, you yeah, were, yeah, and you know, so we had we had like I initiated personally 175 women into witchcraft because in that branch at least it's done male to female, female to male. The high priest initiates the women and the high priestess initiates the men. That's better than my so, discipleship program. It was the opposite. Well that anyway. sounds a lot more effective. <laughs> well let me ask you this. You're sure. talking about like you you're you're discipling or or ev- evangelizing witchcraft, right? Yeah. So s- some things must have happened that made you really passionate about it at the time what what were some of the things that like really got you into it did you actually cast spells that came true and all that stuff like sure. well like okay give me a little bit let of me, that let me give you an example i mean there were like okay i used to ride my bike 11 miles i was at that time i was a school teacher and i'd run my bike 11 miles one way to school because it was you know good exercise and all of that and anyway if it was raining i would go look out the window and i would say this certain spell if you want to call it that and it would stop raining and then i could ride my bike otherwise i have to take the car and you know that happened a lot and you know other things happen and you know but but the thing i need to tell people is that you know the devil can make stuff happen too and you know he can he'll do stuff like that to someone who's getting into the occult he'll keep throwing them bones to make them keep going or throwing them carrots, if you were to make them follow him <clears throat> until they kind of go over the edge. And of course I ended up, <clears throat> excuse me, going over the edge big time, but that's down the road a bit. Uh, and so, yeah, I had enough things happen in my life 
that I thought this is the real deal. I mean, I didn't have anything spectacular happen, but you know, little things like, you know, changing the weather, um, you know, wanting to certain change in my job and then it happened, you know, things of that nature. So yeah. But I'm, you're not like frying, flying on broomsticks or anything no, weird like that. No, no, okay. no, no. That's, okay. that's more, that's a whole story in itself, but no, that's, that's like an historical kind of semi urban myth, like from like seven or 800 years ago. Yeah. Okay. And you weren't doing any blood magic or anything like that at that point no, either. No, so, no. so you weren't going to see anything too crazy. No, no. So anyhow, uh, when while I was in, in Milwaukee, um, I was kind of friends with this guy who ran an occult bookstore. And he said, you know, if you really want to understand what you're doing, you need to read the, uh, the Satanic Bible. And of course, at that time, I thought that, you know, well, witches don't have anything to do with the devil. You know, we worship these nature gods because most witches they believe in like a goddess and a horned god. I mean, and again, that varies a little, but that's it's Wiccan. A, Wiccan, yeah. Well, that's what I was. I was a Wiccan yeah. high priest, and uh, that's so also it makes the name sense. You would see Earth things because you know, that everything was about the Earth. So weather would make sense. You would see something. Like yeah, that. yeah. So anyhow, he said, uh, "Read the Satanic Bible," and and he gave me a copy off his bookshelf because he had a bookstore, and I read the thing, and you know. What, what a lot of people need to understand is that when you have a book like that, there's a certain creepy spiritual influence that can come out of the book and take you over. And that might sound woo-woo to you, but in the many, many years I've been doing ministry, it's very true. Whether it's a Satanic Bible or a Book of Mormon or, you know, whatever it might be. I was going to say be. the Book of Mormon, the Joseph Smith-like yeah. spirit. That's another out. whole thing, you know. Uh and it's, it's real. And so when you have a book like that in your possession, especially if you're studying it, it's going to kind of send these little tendrils out into your soul and start influencing the way you think, especially if you have no protection. And I didn't. And so I thought, well, this sounds kind of neat. I'm going to join the Church of Satan. So I joined the Church of Satan. And I became a, ultimately a second degree member, which is called a warlock within that organization. And also, here's the, the, Does that the come other with the interesting staff? thing. No. <laughs> uh, here, another interesting thing that happened along the way is that I went down to study with the Grandmaster Druid of North okay. America in Arkansas. Grandmaster and, Druid. And uh, yeah, he was. He looked kind of like Gandalf. It's, it's, it sounds know? like you'd have like a rap group or something too. No, 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 he was, no, he was very much, well, you know, this is Arkansas in the 70s. Yeah, right. He's, he's very, so yeah. this is, he was more into like, you know, mountain music. I'm and sure. uh, anyway, he said, before he sent me on my way, he said, you know, you really want to think about joining the Freemasons. Ah, see, this because is, I've heard this part of your story. Where, yeah. Yeah. That's where the real occult Luciferian secrets are is in the Freemasons. And so I, I knew nothing about them because, of course, I was raised Catholic. And back in those days, you know, the Catholics and the Freemasons were verboten mutually to each other. And so I, I never even had anything to do with it. So I, as it happened, we were initiating this one young man into our covenant. Turned out his father was the, um, the junior warden of a Masonic lodge. And I thought, well, I remember what this druid guy had said. I said, oh, well, you know, okay. Um, 
can I uh, join your lodge? And of course, they were desperate for members because even back then, the Masons are, to this day, the Masons are kind of dying on the vine. I mean, I went into that lodge, this would have been like in 1974, 75, and I was like almost like the youngest member in there by 25 years. Jay-Z's a Mason now, though. Rocker. Rockefeller, Jay-Z. They're, I mean, now they get like uh, young black men, actually, like rappers and like athletes who have become Freemasons. Yeah, and so that, they kind of changed their be, whole. That yeah. may, which is really funny because, of course, as you may know, Masons were not allowed to admit black guys yeah. in their order until the, the 80s. Yeah, they changed it. So anyway. Much like the Mormons. Um, so I joined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, part of it was the, the tax status. Because the IRS was threatening to take away their tax exempt status because of racism. So anyway, so I joined the Masonic Lodge. I became third degree, became a lodge officer, went to York Rite, Scottish Rite, did the whole thing. And uh, along the way, I encountered some very creepy stuff in the Freemasons. And and the thing I want to say is, yeah, let's get into that. The vast majority of Freemasons are nice guys. You know, they're even the guys that I knew there. The, uh, this is again way back in the in the seventies. They were fine guys. They were they were mostly like Methodists and Lutherans and whatnot. You know, and that's that's fine. You know, but there's like with all of these groups, there's this dark inner circle, and these guys, these nice guys, are like cannon fodder. They pay their dues. They go to the meetings, sort of, uh, sort of. but they don't. Re- well, by that I mean, you know, I'd go to. I was there every week. They had a lodge meeting every week. I was always there, partly because I was an officer, and there'd be like five guys there, other than the officers, and the good they lay there, falling asleep because they were <laughs> most of them were like you know, sixty or seventy years old, and they were there mainly because at the end of the lodge meeting they could you know, have sandwiches and play pinochle. That was their thing, you know. Yeah, it, they didn't it's care a anything. Gathering. Yeah, it was a social gathering, and of course, also the fact that they they do have these charitable things that they do, which is all commendable, you know. Um, but they don't understand the dark side of it. And I yeah. heard when do you help Satan? Guy, yeah, yeah. One guy say it's kind of like Masons are sort of like people that have a chess set, but they're trying to play checkers with it. They don't understand what they've got. They don't understand that they have a, a dark, evil thermonuclear weapon that they're playing around with. Because it is. It's very, very dangerous. And so what are some of the weird things that you saw there? Well, uh, let me see. Well, for example, I mean, you know, there's a – I went okay, I went through the Scottish Rite. And there is a, a degree – I think it, it's been decades, but I believe it was the 19th degree of the Scottish Rite. Because there's 32 degrees in the Scottish Rite where they call up the devil. It's part of the ritual. And you you got to understand this particular kind of thing, you, you all, it's like a big expensive building and you sit in this theater like, and it's like a live play. You're watching a, a ritual drama being performed, uh, which is intended to convey some inner spiritual truth. And, Anyhow, they actually were doing a ceremony, and they were calling up the devil. They were mocking the order of Melchizedek in the course of this thing, and they actually, you know, tried to conjure up the devil. And there was this energy there. And because because I was a psychic, because I was a medium, I had, you know, I had my eyes open to the dark world, and I could see 
this incredibly dark power just, I mean, you know, it was like came down like that and filled the entire auditorium. And I could feel it touch me. And I knew this was something. And at the time, I thought, oh, this is great. This is cool. This is the Luciferian initiation. And I was, I was totally deceived. But, you know, that would be one example. I mean, you know, there, there, are, there are many. I mean, in the, in, the, um, in the shrine, which is you have to either be a high-level Scottish writer or high-level Yorkite to get into the shrine. I mean, they, they do all sorts of mischievous things to you, uh, some of which involve, um, you know, sex. Uh, uh, both heterosexual, and I don't want to get into details, but uh, both, you know, straight and gay kind of stuff, you know, very, and again, nobody knows about this. It, it's all kept under their hat. But like we, we did a That's video a, small a couple hat years to keep ago. things under though. Well, there's millions of, you know, but you know, and the little yeah, Shriner hats? you mean a little Shriner hat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we did it. We did a video. I got to tell you, we did a YouTube video on the shrine and I, don't, I think it's got like 80 or 90,000 views because people understand, they got to understand that these things, even though they see the Shriners, these nice little guys holding, you know, little crippled children and running around in little funny clown cars and all of this stuff. And it looks so benevolent. Well, well, well Dr. Snowblin, that's actually how I got into this at all. And, and it's, it's relative because that's also where I met my wife. I went to YWAM. Um, I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with, uh, okay, out in Montana and, uh, a friend of mine there uh, had gotten burned from like over like 70% or 80% of his body when he was a child. And wow. so he actually went to like the Shriners Hospital and had free medical care when he was, was young. And sure. then as he grew up, they were re reach out to him to try to join, Hey, join our group. You know, this is what we're about, you know, this. And so he did some research himself and he kind of like was found all the stuff in the back, of the $1 bill and all the different conspiracy theories linked with the uh, Freemasons. And that was the first time I was probably like 21 years old. And that was the first time anyone ever showed me that. And it was like a light bulb came on and I was like, Holy shit. You mean all those dudes that ride around in parades with like, you know, on the little cars that, you know, they're all worshiping Satan, you know, like, <laughs> but, but no, I, yeah, I, and then I did more research, obviously, and I found out that's not really how it works, but it is, it is interesting with the $1 bill and just how much Freemasonry is linked to America and, and like how that's really oh, yeah. what we're about more than say actually Jesus. So, well, you know, I, I mean, it, it does depend. And like, I, I wrote a book, you know, Masonry Beyond the Light, which is one of our best sellers. And in that book, I talk about how it's kind of like the biblical story of Esau and Jacob. And they were struggling in the womb. They were twins. And one was trying to get out before the other one, you know, because that would be the firstborn. And that was the big deal back then. And anyway, that's kind of like what America was. It was like there was this dark force from things like, I mean, like there was the Rosicrucian settlement in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. There was the, the Masons, of course, but at the same time, there were the Pilgrims who were Christians. There were the Puritans who were Christians. There were the, um, today we'd call them Baptists, you know, that were with Roger Williams, not the musician, but, you know, who, <laughs> nice. who, who came to Rhode Island, you know, and had a huge, you know, enclave there. And, you know, so really all through the years, ever since America started, even as colony, there was this tension 
between the uh, the occult groups like the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians, Milo has a Rosicrucian too, uh, and the true Christian uh, disciples of Yahushua, of Jesus Christ. And that's gotcha. why to this day there's kind of there's kind of this back and forth thing. There's a the vast majority of Americans are some sort of Christians. I mean, I wouldn't say all of them are really awesome, tremendous, wonderful Christians, but nominally at least they would say they're Christians. You know, whether they're Catholic or Protestant or Evangelical or whatever. You know, and there's this small, and of course the occultists are a very tiny minority. They always are, but they always have a lot of influence because they try to get into areas of power so anyway no, so, no that's good explain your transition then from that to know to now where you are with one yeah. org. thank you for asking well what okay what happened was i got deeper and deeper into the occult and the deeper you go the darker you go that's the problem because you don't know where you're going. It's like you're, wa I tell people the being in the occult is like walking through the forest in the dark and you're not sure what the next step is going to be. And at one point, I was at a place where I had to sell my soul to the devil to get any further. And I know that sounds weird and hokey, but that's what happened. And I ended up going and signing my name in the black book and, you know, swearing that I would give my soul and my body and everything to the devil for seven years. And the end of those seven years, he'd kill me and get to take me to hell. Now, most people would say, well, that doesn't sound like a very good deal. But see, we were deceived enough, the, the satanic people I was involved with, that, that hell was like one big orgy of, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, so to speak. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, really. <laughs> but it's a total lie because the devil is a liar. And on the other hand, they said that heaven is for losers because all you do is sit around and twang away on a harp sitting on a cloud all the time. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I bought into that because, again, I didn't know anything about the Bible. You know, it says in the book of Isaiah that the, my people are, dis pardon me, Hosea, that my people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. If you don't know what you're getting into, you're going to get squashed like a bug, and I nearly was. So here I am in this deep level of things, and... Uh, what happened was is I'd sent a check into the Church of Satan for my annual dues, and when the check came back from the bank, uh, a lady who I assume was a bank officer there in San Francisco, that's where the church was at that time, she'd written on the check, I'll be praying for you in the name of Jesus. Because she figured if I was giving money to the Church of Satan, I was in deep trouble. So I just laughed because I thought I was so deceived by now, I thought that Jesus was the son of Satan. That's what I thought. And I ended up, you know, throwing a check in my file and forgetting about it. So anyway, literally within two days, I, it, something hit me like a Mack truck. I mean, I mean, spiritually speaking. I mean, I was just laid flat on my back. And understand, at this point, I was one of the most powerful magicians in the whole western coast of Lake Michigan, Chicago and Milwaukee combined. I was a big, whatever you want to call it, sorcerer. Um, I mean, people would come to me all the time for, for, you know, me to do spells for them and stuff, all that kind of nonsense. And, and all of a sudden it was like Sonny just pulled a plug and just, my power levels went to zero and, um, I didn't know what to do. And so I, I had this temple in the attic of our home. It was entirely painted black. 
and I had magic circles painted on the floor and I went in there and I knelt before this altar of Satan and I cried out. I said, listen, I did, I've done all that you've asked me to do. You know, I've, I've sold my soul to the devil. I've gotten other people to sell their souls to the devil. I've tried to be a good servant of yours. And here I'm, I lost my job. I lost all my occult power and give me a sign. And I like to say to people that even though I was crying out to the devil, the Almighty came in and said, pardon me, but I'll take this call. And the Almighty King of the Universe did answer that because what happened is the next day, he sent two satanic teenage girls to our door. That might sound pretty bizarre, but I, I, I have to speculate that there would be nobody in our neighborhood, because we were living in, in downtown Milwaukee, that had enough nerve to come to our door if they were Christians. They were scared to death of our house. It was like the Adams family house, you know. And even Jehovah Witnesses were afraid to come to our door. And that's pretty serious <laughs> stuff. So anyway, uh, nobody came to our door. No, I, nobody ever witnessed to us about the gospel or anything. So these two kids, these two teenage girls came up from Chicago to meet the great satanic priest, quote unquote. And they brought with them two Christian comic books from Jack Chick. And... Um, they said, oh, you got to read these. They're so They said they were Neanderthal, quote, unquote. They were so stupid because they were about the dangers of the occult. And I glanced at them, threw in the door, forgot about them. The next day, Mormon missionaries knocked on our door. And I thought this was a sign from Lucifer. I forgot about the comic, but it's just like that. And because this Druid guy, the same Druid guy who told me to join the Masons, also said that if I got into deep trouble, I should join the Mormon church. So I thought, hey, here's the sign. I'm going to join the Mormon church. So we joined the Mormon church, went to the temple, because he told us that the Mormon temple, and I don't know if we want to get into all that, but the Mormon temple, I was told, was a highly Luciferian experience. And it is. I've been through the Mormon temple dozens of times, and it's very occult, very Luciferian. They've kind of cleaned it up over the decades, but this is like in the early 80s. So anyhow, yeah, Doctor Stoblin. I mean, honestly, yeah. uh, I'm I'm super interested in it. That's where like your story has so many different directions that we could offshoot, and we're trying to like wrap it all up in, <laughs> you, in, in an hour. You became package. a Mormon to get your powers back, right? Yeah, that, that, pretty much. I mean that that's that's a story. That's right. an entire episode. And, and, um, and then you have and then you have the Mormon tie with the Freemasonry stuff too. And so yeah. like, I don't yes. know how much, I mean, I, there's questions here that I want to ask you, but it's like, you're also a vampire and we haven't even gotten anywhere close to that well, yet. Let's, so. let's not even, let's save that for another okay, episode, but they, shall yeah. we? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you know, but here, here, let me just, let me just get to the, the punchline here because okay. as a Mormon, I actually started reading this for okay. the first time in my life. I started reading the Bible because they, they use the King James Bible in addition to the Book of Mormon and some other, you know, stuff, uh, scriptures. And uh, anyway, I, um, I started finding stuff in this book that did not click with the Mormons. It contradicted the Mormons. Yeah. And so finally, uh, I had an experience where I came home after an evening of, of going out and visiting different families and helping people out for the Mormons. And I just collapsed in my chair because I was working 40 hours a week in my secular job and another 40 hours a week as an elders quorum president. And anyway, 
So I sat down and I, uh, my Bible opened up just by chance. I was going to read the Bible and open up to Matthew eleven twenty eight, And, you know, basically the idea of it is, is that Jesus is saying, um, you know, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I thought, well, boy, if this is, because I thought I was serving Jesus, you know, and I thought, if this is easy, I hate to see hard, <laughs> you know, because I was like just, mm-hmm. you know, running to the ground. And then a voice spoke to me and said, go to Matthew 23, verse 2. And I went to Matthew 23, verse 2, and I'm probably not going to quote it exactly, but basically it says, woe unto you, scribe, this is Jesus talking, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you bind heavy burdens on people uh, grievous to bear, and you will not do anything to lift them yourselves. And I made, that smote me in my heart because I felt like that's what I was doing to all these poor Mormon people. I was making them try to keep the 4,000 commandments that the Mormon church has. They have 4,000 commandments to keep. And who can do that? Nobody. And so I started, you know, really seeking, reading the Bible. I ended up going to an evangelistic meeting because I thought I was going to steal some sheep. <laughs> they were giving a talk on the um, on the book of Revelation. I, well, I belong to a church that has a living prophet, so I'm going to know all about the book of Revelation. I went there, and the guy just shot me down. I mean, he had answers from the Bible for everything. And finally, uh, I asked him about being baptized because Mormons believe that nobody has the authority to baptize anybody unless they're either a Catholic priest or a Mormon elder, okay, because they think all the other churches are just broken off and of course they believe the catholic church has apostatized so the only true church according to mormonism is their church and i said where do you get the authority to baptize people so they can be saved and this guy says you don't need to be baptized to be saved he says it says in Acts 16 31 believe in the lord jesus christ and you will be saved and that verse just shot through my magic mormon underwear like a bullet through a sheet of wet <laughs> tissue paper. And, because, yeah, they wear magic underwear. You know, Mitt Romney wears magic underwear. Uh, and anyway, uh, I went home and I studied and I prayed. And finally, I knelt at the foot of my bed. I remembered those comic books. I still had them. I prayed and uh, gave my heart to Yahushua, to Jesus Christ. And I got born again. And that was June twenty second, 1984. Wow. And, wow. and believe it or not, I mean, I the darkness just lifted off of me. It was palpable. I felt like, you know, I was transported somewhere into a whole different reality. So were you married at the time? Yes, yes. And, and how did your wife take this change? Well, the funny thing was she had already kind of figured out Mormonism was just nonsense. Yeah, especially so for a she woman. Was, <laughs> yeah, really. Um, <laughs> And so she was already kind of halfway out of it. And so she, when I found, when she found out that I was, I, I ended up getting a copy of the Godmakers book by my friend Ed Decker, which was like this groundbreaking book back in the early '80s that just blew the hole in the wall of Mormonism. You know, powerful book. And I, I ended up working for him, oddly enough, uh, after a few years. And I just and she looked at that book. She said, "What are you reading?" Oh, I'm reading about how the Mormon Church is a cult. And she's so good. So we kind of got out of it together. And uh, within a couple of years, I was in the ministry. You so know, I, I gave frame? a big. Oh, sorry. This time would have been the mid '80s. When you went in, 
when you first got introduced to the occult to when that April 84, how long was that? That Well, okay. I was about 16 years because I got into the occult about 68 and, and I got saved in 1984. So I think that's around 16 years. Yeah. And your wife was with you that whole time? No, not all. I mean, I was a teenager. Oh, teenager, right. And, I, 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 and she was interested in this. I should say this is my first wife who she passed away 11 years ago. And okay. I, I have oh, a yeah. new wife now. You know. But anyway, um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, she. we met with interest mutual in witchcraft in the early 70s. We got married in a witch wedding, you know all that stuff. And, and then we got out of it together and, you know, so yeah, yeah, that's how that went out. That's an and awesome story be, too. Yeah. A lot yeah. of, a lot yeah, of people, a system. lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, and I was blessed to find a good church there where I, I was in Dubuque, which is where I'm living now. And I found, you mentioned the assemblies of God. It actually happened to be the assemblies of God church that was willing to kind of disciple me, help me, you know, get out of all of this stuff. And, and were you in master's commission? Free. No, no. I took the evangelism explosion class, though. Does that count? It's close. It's very close. Yeah. <laughs> this this was this was again back in the eighties. I mean, it may yeah, be different. That's now, way, that's I mean, way, obviously that's you way folks are all that. are young enough to be my children. So oh, well, thanks. Even grandchildren. Who knows? <laughs> Anyhow, know. I'll be I'll be forty this year. But thank you. Oh well. Y- y- anyway. Yeah, just children. And you age well too. I've been watching. You know, I watched your videos. You. I mean, you. I think you, you've aged very well. So. Well, Jesus keeps me young. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. So, that's, so what are you doing now? Like you, you've you found Jesus, mm-hmm. you found Christianity. Uh, maybe explain to us how that's affected your life since then. Like what well, are you doing with it's it? It's been amazing. I'll tell you this. It's been amazing because a lot of people get into the occult either for power or for wisdom. They think there's this secret inner wisdom, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> and, you know, uh, or to, uh, that's why a lot of young people get into the occult because they want power. Teenagers feel powerless because they're stuck in between, you know, being a child and being an adult. And they aren't allowed to do things, you know, like they can't, they can't drink, they can't, you know, do this or that. And, you know, and so they get into the occult because they think it can give them power over their teachers. Maybe they want to seduce a girl or a boy, but you know, whatever. And so, when I got into the into Christianity, and especially as I got into the ministry, there were so many amazingly powerful things that were happening to me that just made anything that I'd ever done in the occult look like tiddlywinks, just nothing. And you know, I mean, it's just amazing. What's like, an example? Uh, give, give us give us an example. Okay, well, the, this is kind of like I call this my Balrog story. Okay, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, because we were we were doing a, a, been a lot prayer of, ministry. A lot of Lord of the Rings references in this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. we were doing this ministry to get demons out of this woman, who was a she had been a um, generational Satanist. She'd been raised in Satanism as a little girl, and anyway, what happened was. She had a demonic bodyguard that was incredibly powerful. And this bodyguard started to try and attack the church building that we were in. And it, the way it happened is, is we, it was one of those churches that was in like a, 
a kind of warehouse kind of structure. It wasn't like a gothic cathedral type church. Like a pole when building. you say bodyguard, do you mean like a physical bodyguard for that person was possessed or you're saying that she was possessed by a quote unquote bodyguard? No, it was an outer, well, whether or not she was possessed by that particular, no, this was like a high level fallen celestial being, a fallen angel that was physically, I believe, outside of her, but trying to get in to protect her from us. Okay. Okay. So, and because we, we learned early on in the ministry to pray over a building. If we were going to do a deliverance, we don't ever use the word exorcism because that's not really biblical. Um, we pray over the building and ask the Lord to cover the building in the blood of Jesus and protect it with angels and all that good stuff. So this being started manifesting outside the windows of the church. And there was thunder, there was lightning, the earth was literally shaking. He was trying to get in to get this woman back from these evil Christians that were trying to get her set free. And literally he picked up the whole church building and shook it to the point that the it had that, you know, what do you call it, that acoustical tile ceiling on it, those drop ceilings, yeah. that they started coming down. He could not get in. And finally, there was this roar, like I've met, it was like the roar of a hundred lions at once, and he left. And she got set free totally. Hallelujah. Huh. And the only downside That's of it was is that the pastor too. of the church that we were using, he asked us to not come back because we, <laughs> he said, how do I explain this to my insurance company? The window frames were cracked. The foundation was damaged. Well, a big demon picked up my church. You know? <laughs> And that's just how the power of the cross is greater than the power of the evil one. Mm. You know, and mm. I could tell you several stories like that, but the important thing is it's not about, I'm power. interested. Yeah. Well, yeah, these are, I, I mean, you got great, you got great stories. I mean, we'd love yeah, to have yeah, you back yeah, on you know. maybe book like yes, for, oh, please. for longer time next time. Cause I was telling these guys, I'm like, I just don't know how we're going to do this in an hour. <laughs> well, I just I just want to make the point. I think that th there is so much power and glory and freedom in Christ compared to being trapped in the occult, because it is very seductive. The idea, oh, I can do these things, I can have this power, and blah blah blah. And it, it's so. Is there anything specific in your experience with Christianity, given your experience in the in the occult? Yeah. What is it? about Christianity that differentiates it so much in your life? What is it that really makes makes it... I'm just saying, given your experience in the occult, other people haven't experienced that. I mean, a lot of people haven't, so they don't know what that's like. And so I think putting it on to Christianity, what is it about Christianity that makes it so great for you? I would say primarily freedom. There is, you know, when you're especially when you're a higher up person in the occult in witchcraft or whatever, you have this sense of being driven mm -hmm. by some kind of unseen force, you know, and it's not like they're whipping you or something, but I mean, it's like, there's this sense that you're either, you're always doing something, some ritual or some, something or other, or you're going to, you know, fall off into the abyss, you know? And, and I was very much into Crowley, Alistair Crowley, somebody mentioned him back at the beginning, and I was doing all of this thalamic magic at one point, and there's this whole idea, oh, if you make a miss, you know, if you, and the, he, he had his poem, he says, you'll make a miss and fall into the abyss. 
which is kind of the ceremonial magic equivalent of going to hell, and be annihilated. And I had, I had colleagues and friends that were literally zapped into who knows where by an occult ritual. They just vanished off the face of the earth. And there was this idea of fear. There was this idea of, of also kind of like, you know, if you ever watch those old gunfighter movies, you know, like Shane or, you know, various things like that. The, okay, you're like a top gun and all these other people are gunning for you. And so there's this, this combination of being driven and being afraid, you know, because there was actually a joke going around in the, in the occult world that, you know, and you know who Anton LaVey was, right? Yeah. He was yes. the head of the church of Satan. that Anton LaVey sleeps with a nightlight, <laughs> you know, but here's this scary guy who has a tiger in his basement, you know, and yet the guy was, you know, terrified. And, you know, that's kind of what my, and since I got born again and I got set free, it's like there's this peace, this shalom, and I can just, like, take this deep breath and know that everything is going to be okay because the master of the universe is on his throne and he has me in the palm of his hand. I don't have to worry about all this stuff. I mean, that's a huge thing. And also to be free because I was involved in drugs. I was involved in, you know, all kinds of weird, you know, sexual stuff. And I got set free from all of that just in a matter of a few weeks. I mean, I was heavily into cocaine. I hate to tell you, this is before there was crack. I got out of that scene before crack came along. How many lines oh, thank of coke? Goodness. Yeah, really. How many lines of coke I was doing every day and just totally gone. I mean, I haven't touched cocaine since 1984. And I don't miss it one bit. Hallelujah. So do you, that's a lot do of Do you it. miss pot? <laughs> no, not really. Not really. I not mean, even, I, not even, me not even edibles. You know, yeah, like I mean, if let it's, me, if it's me, legal. I mean, I know, okay. Listen, I'm a naturopathic doctor. Okay, so yeah, that's what my doctor is, and so I understand that cannabis has profound medical applications, which are wonderful. I have not had to use it for is any it, of those is things. There a, is there a butt coming at the end of that statement, or? Well, I'm just saying it's like any other substance that if, if just like alcohol, just like oxycodone, just like, and I mm, understand it's not addictive the, yeah. in the same way that especially opioids are horribly addictive. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's always a danger in surrounding your mind. I don't know why we're talking about to, drugs. There's so much things we could talk about with you. I don't know why. I'm sorry. That and well, I, see, I'm I used sorry to, I went believe off. it or not, I, I, I was a drug addictions counselor. Okay. I was a master's level certified addictions counselor, worked for five years in Damn. a substance abuse agency what have in, you not in the done? 90s. Never was a Joe witness. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be, yeah, it'd be easier to list the, the like, were you, you know, ever into Islam. What you haven't yeah. done. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, I belong to the Call of the Month Club. <laughs> and, and you're great. Well, great I, to talk I really to. want I want you back on this show um soon. Oh, we'll see I how have it goes. A, yeah. I have many I have many more questions. Um mm -hmm. but all of them would start an hour conversation. So right, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This well, has been great. Sure, sure. Yeah. Anything uh, else? That you, you know, it's fine. You guys have been very polite and very nice. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, no, it's I, been great. I would just say this. Okay, let me just say this on our website with oneaccord.org. We have a lot of material that you can download for free. We have teachings. We have like little, they call them, we call them straight talks on things like the Shriners, the Freemasons, 
witchcraft, warm, all these different things. We have these little free, they're PDF files you can download. We have a YouTube channel with over 150 YouTube videos on it about a wide range of topics. And we've got, I've got, I think six or seven books currently in print and dozens of DVDs that people can access on our website, some of them also on Vimeo. And, you know, we encourage people to visit our website because Definitely. we have a lot of free stuff and uh, we're trying to reach out to people and give them hope because this has been the craziest summer <laughs> in my memory and I'm a lot older than you folks. And a lot of people are scared. And I'll yeah. tell you, I have total shalom. I have total peace because I know where I am and that, you know, Yahushua, Jesus Christ is bigger than the coronavirus. He's bigger than economic uncertainty or, you know, racial turmoil because he's the prince of peace. And if you want peace, you got to get the prince of peace. Right. Are you on social media at all? I wish I was, but I don't have a lot of time. We, my, my dear wife, Mary, she tries, but you know, we do have a Facebook, uh, uh, page and uh, but you know I I don't do enough with it because the time is just so precious and you know how it is it can just kind of eat into your day and and plus there's so much censorship you know the kind of yeah. things we talk about we get a lot of but we do every time we come out with a new video like we just came out with a new video on YouTube Mary she'll put up a thing on uh, Facebook's about it and uh, we do have a mailing list that people can sign up for free. And again, the mechanism for that is on our website. You ever get any death threats from the Masons oh, and stuff? Well, yeah. I mean, I've been poisoned. I've been shot at. I've oh my been run off the road. I'll tell you, listen, I'll tell you, this is a very true story. I was with my <laughs> parents who have gone home to heaven since then. Uh, we were in a car, the four of us, going up Mount Rainier because I was showing them the, the sites. Gorgeous, you know, national park, all that. And we're going around this hairpin curve and going straight and there was a semi bearing down on us and he deliberately came into our lane and I could see the guy's face. He was like 150 feet away and he was mad. He was aiming for us. And I, you know, that's one of those times we didn't have time for elaborate prayers. You just go, Oh God, you know, like that, you know what happened? The semi went right through our car. It was like, oh it became in, insubstantial and I, I did you know and my father was sitting beside me and my the two wives were in the back seat and it's like I could literally see the engine of the truck go through me and then it was gone and we didn't have a scratch <laughs> and my father who is who's Catholic but you know he really very down to earth and the idea of, of a of a vanishing truck just sort of was beyond his outside of his, you know, experience. He just kind sure. of looked at me and said, we're never going to talk about this, are we? Said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so yeah, we've had lots of people try to kill us, but you know, we are protected by a greater power. We put on the full armor of Elohim of God and we wield the sword of the spirit. And, you know, we've been, we get a lot of bombardment. Believe me, we get a lot of incoming fire. Because we're the, the, I mean, the Masons are mad at us. The Mormons are mad at us. You know, the witches are mad at us. So, hallelujah. You know. It sounds like you've definitely got the helmet of salvation on. Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> what I, I am curious before we wrap up here, but do you, do you <laughs> we think that we're, we're in the end times? <laughs> do I believe? Oh, yes. These are just Very like, much so. not, yeah, it's a question that yes was no asked question. on Facebook. Yeah. I'm, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
fair enough. I fair mean, enough. Well, you know, can I just a, say that? A I mean, listener from Facebook asked, yeah, um, she, can she you ask with him if he <laughs> believes we are in the end times in our lifetime? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to make it whatever. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the the thing is, John, you know, the evangelist, and he said these are the end times, and that was 2,000 years ago in the book of Revelation. So obviously, yeah, we're in the end times. But yeah, I do believe, I don't want to set a date, but I think that within my lifetime that Yahushua is coming back in power and glory. Yes, okay. I do. That'll be interesting. Man. Oh, it will be. Almost as interesting as this interview. Dude, Dr. Snubber, this has been <laughs> uh, crazy. It's been crazy in a good way. Like, I mean, I've enjoyed every minute of it. You did an amazing job. You have a great sense of humor. Putting up with, like, some of you know, my asshole comments. I, I, I really, really like you a lot, man. And I encourage people to, to check you out on YouTube. Go to your website with one accord. Um, with one accord.org. You know, you know, support, support well, the guy. Well, we try to and, be authentic. Yeah. You, see, you seem, really do seem to be. And, um, like I know Seth said it earlier, I mentioned it once or twice, but I think what we would do if you're interested in the future, we'll set up for something a little bit uh, longer form and we'll allow our listeners and stuff if they have any questions and stuff that came up because I'm sure people have questions from here listening to your story. And um, yeah, sure, absolutely. I, just, I love that your, your openness and willingness to talk about it. Like, um, you know, clearly we don't even us as a group the four of us here don't agree on everything and so like obviously we're not looking to like agree agree or disagree with you but i just love your heart behind and what and what you're doing you seem like 100 percent real and i'm gonna go ahead and say genuine so <laughs> well thank you yep. yeah we want to be very much yeah we want to be a good witness to christ and let people know that you know it's all about him Dr. Snevlin uh, with oneaccord.org. Thank you so much for your time. You bet. Shalom. All right, let's start out. <laughs> this is the recast. Parents go and they release the hellions with no manners, respect, or anything else onto this part. Welcome to the Reefcast. We're talking about being naked. <laughs> Thing in the Bible, who always gets the shaft? Is the right. person following the leader? So for all you parents out there, it doesn't matter how you raise your kids, <laughs> they might just end up the opposite of what you taught them. Well, find us on Stitcher, iTunes, and iHeartRadio. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.